0: That child does not know the difference between what I just did is bad versus I am bad. And so now what what you have done as the parent is you've told your child they are bad. Even yeah. whether you meant to or not, it's what you did. And your child is going to internalize that and they're going to think they are bad. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five, so be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at jenny at jennyb.co. Let's get started. Welcome back, you guys. Okay, so this week we are diving right in to one of the most common and most harmful tools I see used in parenting, shame. Shame. This is a huge topic and we definitely go over the one hour mark on this one, but we don't even come close to covering all of it. Shame has crept into our very DNA and more often than not, it starts in our own homes. Throughout this episode, my dad and I also talk about the alternatives to using shame and guilt to teach our children how to be good people. There are so many juicy nuggets in here. I can't wait to see what your takeaways are. Welcome back. This is the Relational Parenting Podcast, and we are back with the topic of shame and guilt being used in parenting. Um, And so we're going to talk about different situations that shame and guilt are being used in and ways that you may not even know you're using them. And then we're also going to talk about the alternatives to using shame and guilt in the relational pyramid that I talked about last week. There you go. So, yeah. So, we kind of dove in a little bit there and threw out, threw out some examples of, well, we were talking about sharing. So, let's back up a little bit and go back to to shame, the different ways that shame shows up. Shame is one of the biggest issues across the board of existence not just in parenting not just in raising kids not just in children mm-hmm. not just in adults but shame across the board every culture every country every whatever of existence shame is at is at such a deep rooted
1: core inside of us kids
0: it is and it's well it's a means of controlling anyone and 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 most of us a lot of us have been raised with shame and so we grow into adults who have shame and there's you know all of this self-healing and therapy and and inner work and and all of you know the buzzwords going around Mm -hmm. and all of that's wonderful and I've done a lot of that and we need it, but we we if we were raised without it, we wouldn't, and we wouldn't, wouldn't have
1: just have yeah.
0: We wouldn't just have this layer. It's like it's like the our foundation is the bottom layer of that builds up who we are. It, the bottom, the foundation we're built on is shame, and so the filter everything goes through in our lives is shame, like is shame and and perceived morality, and so. You know, is this person looking at me and judging me? Am, am I this? Am I too mean? Am I too nice? Am I too demanding? Am I too what? Like whatever it is, we're mm-hmm. constantly self-evaluating, mm-hmm. and we don't feel worthy, and we are constantly trying to achieve something, mm. some image mm-hmm. of worthiness to ourselves and, worthiness and others is a big
1: deal. Yeah,
0: and so there's just all this like shame and shoulds and. And you know, at the base of our at the base of, of our existence. And so that's something I I just wanted to start with it, with this topic, because it starts in yeah. childhood. It starts with how we're parented. Everything does, yeah. right? Your yeah. first interactions on earth are with your yeah. parents. And so that
1: low level firmware um, stuff people get in their heads. I wonder if that's a, if that not uniquely American, but American and British people talk about how uh, uptight we are that's not the word i was thinking compared i wonder if maybe america um gets more of that does more of that than some other countries you know i would
0: disagree i would
1: yeah i don't know i'm just there curious are of,
0: there are a lot of asian cultures Puritanical. that rely rely heavily on guilt and shame
1: Hmm. yeah yeah i have i, I have a lot
0: of um a lot of close friends who are first generation Americans. So they come from From Korea, other
1: cultures, yeah. Japan, Ethiopia.
0: And their parents brought them here from their home country. So their parents were born and raised in that country, and then they bring them here and they, raise them with that culture, but in it inside of a new culture where their kids are going to an American school and learning English and learning different customs and ways of doing things and different ways of thinking about things. And like the, their parents version of right and wrong is very different from the kids version of right and wrong. But Mm there, I know one, one teenager in, in particular specifically that I mentored, several years ago she i mean her her entire teenagehood and that's when i met her and but i'm i know from from her own mouth reporting that even before teenage years her existence mm-hmm. was torture because she was constantly everything she wanted to do and be was constantly wrong in the eyes of her parents
1: no oh, and yeah that's no fun
0: and it was be it was a cultural like it was cultural expectations that hmm. underlied those those issues and that might and,
1: conflict uh culture from another culture when you're like i mean sometimes people come and they kind of live in communities right uh, you know um uh, uh, what am I trying to think of like the the north is kind of known for swedish and and uh northern european settlers you know and uh, so there's a certain amount of a bubble within a within a bigger bubble within a culture and so having expectations of one culture and then the kids are out in school and relationships with other people and then boy you know and there's norms there so yeah that could make a lot of conflict and that would be particularly complicated
0: yeah so i think I think as Amer as Americans, I don't know if we fall somewhere in the middle. There's also a lot of Hispanic families that I have known where shame and guilt is. It's like toxic There's like this uh, toxic loyalty to your to the family to to like you're a fa- you you stick together no matter what. No one can penetrate the family. Um, yeah, yeah and there's particular there's loyalty guilt and or shame
1: something
0: in that and there's like there's a healthy there's a there's a place for healthy loyalty of course inside family and and but there's also toxicity and abuse and if you're you know i've witnessed abuse happening inside of a family and like not physical but emotional abuse um mental oh, abuse yeah. guilt and shame and and guilt trips oh, yeah. and Manipulation and then but then the, the child, yeah. the adult child of the manipulator, yeah, defends their parent and says, Oh, they're well, they're just this or well, they're just that, or they were raised this way, or they're they're right. I should be more loyal, or I should have whatever done whatever for my whatever mom when is. she asked me to do it. And I'm like, You're yeah. 35 with a wife and your own children to take yeah. care of and yeah. your mother didn't it wasn't like it was something like so minute that she asked for, but just wanted to see if she could get you away from your wife and kids to do it for her like, uh,
1: is it a manipulation sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. is it healthy so, that's so my favorite word is it healthy yeah hmm. yeah, and that's a yeah you know, so that kind of thing you know culture within a culture kind of conflicts that uh that's not only a childhood thing where we're programming our kids basically or you know teaching them norms is uh uh Expectations of taking care of parents in their old age and that kind of thing that varies from culture to culture and so yeah well, we're gonna taking, we're gonna end taking... up we should we'll get a lot of comments So it'd be interesting to see comments from people from other cultures and stuff you know because we are American yeah. we don't have that much we have experience from outside of other cultures it'd be interesting yeah. to see what what people from inside those cultures have to say
0: right well no, yeah well and there's nuances inside of every, Absolutely. everything. But Absolutely. there's, and there's also, there's a difference between taking care of your parents in their old age and valuing like, okay, my parents raised me and loved me and provided for me. And now I want to be able to do the same for them when they can't take care of themselves. There's a difference between having that, having a value of, of taking care of your family versus this, like this toxic, guilt trip manipulation of a parent who is perfectly capable of doing these things (laughs) themselves,
1: yeah. but is
0: playing a game to see if they still matter to you more than your spouse or your partner or your own kids. Like they still want to be the most important person in your life. And unfortunately that's not the role of a parent is to be the most important person in your life for your entire life. Like,
1: like empty nesting on steroids. It's yeah. not, a, not necessarily a conscious manipulation or unconscious. It's just an expectation, you know, maybe it's legitimate somewhere else in the world where life is structured. But in America, you're kind of expected to go on and not do that and stick your parents in a home or something, you know, it's, yeah, all kinds What's of about, conflicts. Again, I'm not
0: talking about <laughs> like values. elder, like I'm not talking about nursing home versus like, <laughs> I'm not talking about like elderly, elderly parents who cannot take care of themselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But people who can, that's take going care of to themselves. be,
0: that's going to be a personal ability and financial ability. Right. And like, there's so many factors depend on like your personal ability to take care of your parents when they are no longer able to take care of themselves. And I don't right, want right. to I get it. talk about different cultures and that value. What I'm talking about is Parents who are perfectly capable, relying on and putting the burden of their worth yeah. on their adult children yeah, to supply, to need them, to continuously yeah. need them and do things for them, even though they have, even though they're building their own life.
1: Yeah, once the children have left the nest and are doing okay, they're not content to be a backstop, they're they they want to be there all day every day taking energy from the kids. Right.
0: Right. Like parents are supposed to launch their children into the world. Like we have I've raised you. I've given you a foundation and now you're meant mm-hmm. to go build your own life. Mm-hmm. And but there in some cultures there's this pull to like I still come home for holidays and I still talk to my family. Mm-hmm. Like I still like I'm talking to my parent right now like you still are in relationship with your parents but you are right. building your own life and there are parents who just do this yeah. they want their kid to be to be with them and on them and taking care of them and or finding a way to i don't know there, there's like that and
1: you and using <laughs> shame to and using shame as a tool to accomplish it right long past long past uh childhood
0: So let's, so let's take this back to childhood because we're here to teach current parents how to do things differently and current parents of children. There are lots of parents of adults. Um, So parents of young children right now, ways that you may or may not be aware of using guilt and or shame in your parenting to get your kid to do something or to teach your kid, you know, what may be an important lesson, but we're using guilt and shame to teach it instead of empathy and understanding to teach it. Um, And so an example that comes to mind for me is using very young children uh with a younger sibling or with another child on the playground so i'm talking like two three four years old Mm -hmm. things that are very normal for that age group is biting hitting kicking but these are things that
1: the restraint yeah yeah
0: to us as adults are absolutely forbidden and unacceptable so we then (laughs) see our two three and four year old do that and we go like we want to add like put a stop to it in that like don't ever do that again and unfortunately at that developmental age and stage it's completely and totally normal and if we use shame to shut it down or we tell like no like you don't get to do that and don't hit, don't hit your sister you're going to hurt her do you want to hurt your sister that's so mean that's saying that's bad yeah like or yeah say that's bad you don't do just that just
1: generically evil.
0: (laughs) Right. That is, that child does not know the difference between what I just did is bad versus I am bad. And so now what, what you've done as the parent is you've told your child, they are bad, even whether you meant to or not, it's what you did. And your child is going to internalize that and they're going to think they are bad. And the more a child thinks they're bad, the more they're going to do the bad things because that's what they
1: are that becomes like their identity
0: exactly hmm. and so hmm. you know and there's also there there so many people don't know that that's normal it hasn't it hasn't gotten to the general public that those things are developmentally normal that that is how a young child moves frustration out of their body so everything comes back to um emotions right so once our physical needs are met we then feel emotions and emotions i can't remember who it was that i was listening to that that defined the word e motion um mm. but it, it but emotions are energy e energy in hmm. motion hmm and so energy comes and goes energy moves energy cannot be created nor destroyed it simply converts or moves or whatever mm-hmm. and so Emotions are the feelings mm-hmm. that rise up in our body, and you can feel every single one of them in your body. If anyone has mm-hmm. ever done any kind of body work or even just stopped and taken a breath when you're angry, you know that you feel emotions in your body. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine your adult body being unable to contain those emotions without yelling or crying or punching the wall imagine a 2 year old feeling an emotion just as big as yours exactly but in a body a fifth the size
1: <laughs> and experienced right and or,
0: and and with no with no prefrontal cortex to tell them that this, <laughs> when right. i do this this is going to hurt somebody
1: there's no valve there yet <laughs> right. and that's what you do when they bite somebody you know when a kid acts out like that that's a te- that's a teaching moment when they're doing that you know and they're little that's it's not I guess I always go back to the to the teaching and, and trying to make kids more uh, more uh, competent in whatever they're doing. You don't you don't shame them into it. You go, yeah, well, this is this, we don't want to do that, and this is why. And if you can't control it, then we have to go do something else. And and you know you just try to teach them and show them logical consequences, and eventually because that's how they stop doing that. You know there has to be some training or you know, some input from an authority figure, maybe, to to say, "Hey, that's nope. We're not. You can't do that here. We we won't allow that." Not that you're doing anything unexpected. It's just, yeah, that's we're not going to allow that. You have to try to control that. Develop that control. Yeah,
0: telling a two-year-old Eventually. to control to control something is a useless. Is you not don't do going it with be... words.
1: I get it. I get that. Well,
0: even the phrase, if you can't control it, we're going to have to go do something else. Even that, like, that's unfair because they can't control it. Okay. Okay. So, so an example.
1: So would I just scoop them up and remove them from the situation?
0: No, if they hit, then you and you see, that especially you know, if it's in public and it's another child, that makes things more complicated. So let's do an at home. Yeah. Let's do okay. an at home example um, would be you have a three year old and a one year old. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, they're in the living room playing with blocks or Lincoln logs or whatever, and maybe you're on the couch and you're on your phone or you're reading a book or you're just spacing out because the kids are playing quietly for a minute. <laughs> Thank God. That's right. um, They're too quiet now. <laughs> right. And you're, you're sitting there the kids are playing on the floor and then, you know, all of a sudden three-year-old reaches over and smacks one-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Our knee jerk reaction is to launch into the middle of that and go, no. And, <laughs> and our energy gets big very quickly. And, before, like you, even, before yeah. you even get to the verbal or physical correction mm-hmm. of the behavior, you first have to check your energy because you're you are having an internal reaction to what just occurred. Yeah. And for me, it's. Injustice. That yeah. bigger three-year-old child just assaulted my smaller one-year-old yeah, sure.
1: child. A bigger kid has to be more responsible. Absolutely. And
0: so your parent, your parent instinct will kick in, even if it's your child versus your child, your other child, your parenting instinct, your protective instinct will kick in seeing something like that. And so the first thing we have to do is pause in that response.
1: So that's Unless, like being mindful, being intentional about, right. you gotta, you gotta go, okay, how do I want to deal with this?
0: And then, and then you have to, and then you have to make your voice come out <laughs> yeah. in a tone that portrays that you are a regulated adult who can handle this
1: situation because in you are. a grown up manner. You don't want to react from your child or, you know, you don't want to do that knee jerk thing. You right. got to go up.
0: You don't want to launch okay. off the couch with this like no energy. You need to just, <laughs> you need to quietly, you need to calmly put your phone down and say, Hey, what's going on? And then it's okay, an it's immediate, it's immediate curiosity. So you, depending on the severity of the situation, this is a, this is a three-year-old who has with his hand hit a one-year-old and stopped. Yeah, this there's is no not, brick
1: involved or anything. Right. There's no knife. <laughs> there's no weapon. There's no like yeah. there's
0: no sixteen year old beating up a four year old. This yeah. is a very specific situation where we are responding this way. Yeah. Um, and it is that no one's no one's life is in danger.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so three year old reaches over and hits one year old, maybe even screams at her or says, That's mine, and or tries yeah. to rip a toy out of her hand. Yeah. You've all been there. You know what we're talking about. So the first thing to do is regulate yourself and your voice. And so you're going to regulate your body. You're going to take a deep breath. You're going to tell yourself, I can handle this. And then you're going to put down whatever you're doing and you're going to turn to your children. You're going to be like, hey, specifically the three-year-old, you want to address the three-year-old and you want to say, hey, what's going on? What happened? Because so you want to regulate, and then you want to lead with curiosity. Because if okay. you lead with with stop that or mm-hmm. um, judgment, that ch- your child is immediately going to recoil from you, and they're yeah. gonna they're not going to want to talk about it. They're not they're going to get upset themselves and start crying themselves, them. yeah. the, and then they'll immediately feel shame. And if you look at your child with judgment and shame, that's what they're going to feel, even if it doesn't yeah. come out of your mouth. Yeah. So you're going to regulate. And then you're going to ask a question. Hey, buddy, what's going on?
1: What happened? What's going on? Yeah.
0: And then you're going to give that child a chance to tell him what happened for him, which is it's going to be a feeling, promise. Or it's going to be she took my toy. And then you're going to fill in the feeling and you're going to say, oh, man, that's frustrating. And you're going to empathize. Name
1: it. Yeah. So we're going
0: to regulate, we're going to be curious, and then we're going to empathize. And all of those things have to happen before correction can happen, before real correction can happen, before real correction and teaching can happen, before that child is going to feel safe enough to hear Mm -hmm. what you're teaching them. You Mm -hmm. have to be calm, curious and empathetic.
1: Exactly. If you upset, you know, grownups when they're upset, they don't think straight. And Mm -hmm. so you have to regulate yourself. And then you also have to keep in mind When you're dealing with your child, you don't want to upset them because they're not going to get the lesson or whatever it is you're trying to communicate. If they're upset, you don't know. I mean, it's not like sometimes you don't want to upset them. You want to you want to teach them. You want you want them to be able to absorb it. That's interesting. It also helps. I wish when you guys were younger that I'd had some of these principles floating around in my head a little more formal. So when you do that, okay, how am I going to react here? I had two or three principles. It's like, okay, calm. And you know, the things you just named off there, something to rattle off in my head going and then, then go in and now I'm kind of, now I got a process. I'm not just doing it intuitively and hoping it works. You know, it'd be nice to have some tools, little checklist, little, little bitty, little short checklists. Cause I have a little bitty little short brain, but You know, it's like, okay, yeah, go at it. Go at it here. I don't have to remember a doctoral dissertation, you know, just a couple of, Okay, here's how we want to go after. Here's how we're working on conflict with these kids at this age, you know, and that would change as you get older. That's interesting. Being mindful about it, being deliberate.
0: Well, and so children and dogs have a lot in common. Yes, they do. (laughs) And one (laughs) of one of the biggest things that they have in common, and that's, and that comparison is not meant to be derogatory. I know some people have a problem with that, but I know know. that is a creature in our house that we have power over. Yeah, it's as simple as that, and we. Whatever it is in our environment that we have power over is going to respond to our energy. They're not going to create Mm -hmm. the energy in the house. They're going to respond Mm -hmm. to ours. Mm -hmm. And so my dog does not get hyped up and excited unless
1: I get hyped up and excited. Unless it senses you, yeah.
0: And your child is going to respond to your energy the same way. And so if you're coming off the couch and launching at them... It, with this, like, anger and defensiveness, oh. Oh. that child is immediately terrified.
1: Imagine somebody three or four times your size launching themselves at you and, and running up on you. you know, Goliath, that's right. like, oh, my God, I hope they're not going to come kill me.
0: Exactly. That is exactly what your child is thinking. They don't, they're not conscious of it. Yeah. But you are, you are now a threat to their life. And they are going to they are completely shut down and they're going to fall apart into into what we would call a tantrum or crying Mm -hmm. or screaming or running away from you or whatever.
1: Overload of the emotional system. Yeah.
0: Right. And it's a fear response and it's a natural one and it's a good one. It protects them.
1: Yeah. Let's their mom, let their dad know that something's going on. Yeah.
0: So, so I want to finish the example for the parents who are looking for like, okay, but how would the rest of that play out? Um, so, so we regulate ourselves first, we respond with calmness and then we ask a question, Curiosity. curiosity. Um, and then when that child reveals to us what happened or why it happened or the way they felt that something unjust happened to them or whatever, we then empathize. And we're, we're, that's not validating the behavior, but we're going to validate their feeling that caused the behavior. Yeah. So we're going to be like, Oh, it's so frustrating when someone takes something away from you. And then we're going to, if you haven't already, you're going to get down on the floor with them. Try to get as get low as you can level. to their yeah. little, to their level. You're sitting down, you're not towering over them. And as long, you know, your child's isn't still hitting. Right. So everyone's bodies is are. Calm and you're going to say man that is so frustrating how else or what else could you have done when she took that toy away from you
1: another question getting them engaged and thinking of other possibilities teaching them to stop and think yeah
0: instead of just oh no we do not hit that is not okay no sir you're gonna go play over here now and with Don't like s- immediate shame and punishment that's I not like gonna that. teach them anything
1: don't they're explain the morality anything. of it. Yeah.
0: All they're going to feel is like shit. And they're going to yeah. think you're the one that made them feel like shit. And it's their sister's fault because their, their sister took the that's, toy from them.
1: That's right. That, and that's I'll also get you later.
0: <laughs> talk about sibling rivalry. You want to know who causes sibling rivalry? Because it's not yeah, siblings. Yeah, would be
1: mom and dad. Yeah.
0: Sibling rivalry comes from how differently the children get treated based on age, size, etc. That's
1: a good point.
0: So we're avoiding a lot of shit here. Relationships are so complicated, y'all. So you're getting down on their level. All by being
1: regulated ourselves. Yeah.
0: You're getting down on their level and you are asking, Hey buddy, Oh man, that's so frustrating. How, what else could you have done when she took your toy instead of hitting her? What do you think? What do you think you could have done instead? And, Depending on how many conversations you've had with your child, they might come up with an answer themselves. They might not. But a couple of examples they might come up with themselves is, uh, I could have just asked her to give it back to me. (laughs) Or I could have come and told you. I could have come and gotten mommy. And either of those, perfectly acceptable. Some kids, some three-year-olds will know the phrase, use my words. I could have used my words.
1: Could have used my words. Go and find there, somebody regulated.
0: There will also be children who start crying anyway because they know what they did was wrong and they didn't mean <laughs> to hurt their their sister. And they don't they aren't capable yet of verbalizing to you a different option. They just feel bad. They still feel bad. The feeling has not moved. And so we're going to help them move through it. And we're going to continue to empathize and we're going to ask them if they need a hug and we're just going to sit with them while they're upset until the Mm -hmm. feeling passes. And then we're going to re-engage in this conversation and we're going to say, you know, if they're, if they're unable to come up with an answer themselves, that's fine. They're three, give them the answer, give them some choices. This is where you're teaching. Next time. If sissy takes your toy could just say, Hey, I was playing with that. Will you give that back, please? Yep. Or you, if you feel like you're gonna hit sissy because you're so upset, come get mommy. I'll help you. Yeah, and it's as simple as that. And then a natural consequence. People, you know, there's, there's, there are parenting voices out there being like, well, but he hit her, so he needs a consequence, or he's not gonna learn anything. And what I advocate for as a parent coach is natural consequences. Um, natural consequences are things that will naturally occur in a child's environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As, a res- as, as a natural result of their behavior. And so if you think of it, if you take it out of a child's environment and put it into an adult's avi- environment, if I were to hit my adult friend, mm-hmm. if I were to reach out and smack my adult friend or mm-hmm. husband or whatever,
1: mm-hmm.
0: my natural consequence might be that they don't want to be my friend anymore. Yeah. Or they're not going to talk to me for a while. Or we're going to have words and talk about it. Or like, you know, in horrible cases, it's domestic violence, et cetera. We're not going to smack you
1: back. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Or or they're going to hit you back. Yeah.
0: Okay. So in that situation, the natural consequence most often that I have witnessed is that one-year-old no longer wants to play with Mm three-year-old. And so one-year-old wants to either snuggle with mommy, be comforted.
1: Get some attention.
0: Get separate. Yeah. Separate at one-year-old, one-year-old, it's going to be snuggles or a snack. Mm -hmm. But there's
1: rarely a third party that runs in and smacks you when you're an adult. Right. You,
0: so there's not, there's sma- not some random. party two,
1: party three doesn't come smack party one.
0: <laughs> right. So, but the natural consequence then for the three-year-old is that sissy doesn't want to play with you anymore. So you guys were having fun on the floor a lot. And I've, mm-hmm. I've witnessed this firsthand and it, it's happened on the playground. So between non-sibling children on the playground, they're playing, they're playing, they're playing. One kid hits the other kid because there's hitting happens through excitement too. Kids get so yeah. excited or they feel so much yeah. love. I've had a child hit me and then tell me, I'm so, I'm sorry. I just love you.
1: <laughs> like, and, they,
0: and it's, it's a real thing. I feel that yeah. like, towards other, ch- like other children that call me auntie yeah. that I, that are in my life that I love or towards my dogs when they're being so cute. I just squeeze my own fists cause they're yeah. you know, I clench my own teeth in an Oh, they're just Just so cute. And it's like, imagine that, that feeling of love and cuteness in a two-year-old's body. They don't know what to do with that. They're just going to move their hand. So we're on the playground. It's two children, non-siblings, and one reaches out and hits the other. Most often what's going to happen is that friend doesn't want to play with with you anymore. That's your natural consequence. You don't need anything else on top of that. That is your natural consequence life consequence for what you just did
1: yeah yeah
0: we don't need the shame and the guilt and and god forbid the smacking or the time out or whatever like there's no reason for any of that and none of that is going to teach your child anything
1: at least not on a you know onesie twosie kind of basis that's also sounds to me kind of like A healthy habit to teach your kids, which is if you're around the other side of what you're saying, or an older version is if you run into people who are verbally or physically abusive or something like that, it's good to say, Okay, I don't necessarily want that in my life. And you learn to stay away from people like that that can be depended upon to mistreat you in other ways, you know, in any kind of way. And it's like, Okay, that's fine. That's your thing. But I'm. it's not my job to come smack you when you smack somebody else. It's my job to just leave you stay stay out of arm's reach from you. You know, don't not exactly. be your friend. You know, so that's kind of that that would be consistent with a good, healthy teaching going forward. That's nice. I like that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's it's too it's two sided, right? Because if you're if your child is the one that got hit and you're consoling them or whatever, and they're like, they still want to play with that friend. That's, I mean, that's fine. Okay, go play with your friend. If they hit you again, you need to come get me. Yeah, so shaming, shaming, that's something, you know, that's a, hitting and biting, those are major behaviors. And that's just one, one tiny example of how shame and guilt are used in raising children But that's kind of a glaringly obvious example.
1: Well, you start with easy ones to define. I'm sure there's more complicated ones. Well, so there's these,
0: as you dig in more and more to the emotional and mental health part of our foundation, right? That we talked about Mm -hmm. in our first episode, we have the bottom of our pyramid is the physical needs are being met. Mm-hmm. And then the second tier is emotional and mental. And then mm-hmm. we have social and cognitive. Mm-hmm. And so we're in this emotional, mental um, tier of the, our developmental pyramid. And there are microaggressions for lack of a better word.
1: I've that heard we that before. Yeah.
0: Have towards our children. And microaggressions in the way that we use shame and guilt um, hmm. as thought processes that we're teaching our children. Hmm. And it might just be in passing. And one of those is you give your three year old the spaghetti and broccoli that you made for dinner, and they don't want to eat all of it. And you go, There's starving children in Africa. You need to <laughs> eat your food.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like little little things that we just say because either we were raised on those phrases or we picked them up somewhere, but the little ones that you just, you get in this habit of saying them as a response to a situation that occurs, you know, daily and constantly. And we all do it and we all do it in different ways in different settings. But you, you get that it's like autopilot. It's this auto response of like, just trying, you're just trying to get your kid to, eat their fucking dinner because you
1: know they're going to be hungry in an hour if they don't i mean really what you're trying to do is get them to stop and focus and just you know watch how much they're eating and you know it turns into trying to lay a guilt trip on them yeah shame's a shame's a pretty common way to to uh try to control people emotionally
0: well and then you know everybody wonders where eating disorders come from and that's a big that's a tiny. big one in childhood because you want your child to get the nutrition that they need and yeah. you as the adult know better yeah. of what they, whether they like the broccoli or not, or broccoli is new and scary and you just want them to try it mm-hmm. and you're in like your intentions aren't bad, mm-hmm. but your method is. Yeah, message
1: not great. Yeah.
0: And if you create shame as early as two and three and four years old in your child around mealtime, just multiply that by 30 years and like.
1: Interest, compounding interest. Shame
0: eating, comfort eating, like forced eating, binge eating, not eating. It's all, and, and even as someone, I've never struggled with an eating disorder, but I've struggled with diets and my thought process around eating and feeling bad for eating Different things, or mm-hmm. feeling less worthy or whatever, and the thing that I finally figured out and I'm still working on it, and will probably be working on it forever, is I eat foods that make my body feel good, which mm-hmm. means I don't get bloated and gassy and feel like I just need to lay down or yeah. like whatever like take I take it easy I on the
1: cheeseburgers.
0: Right, well, <laughs> but there are certain times that I need a cheeseburger a like cheeseburger
1: a, once in a while is good for the soul.
0: <laughs> well, it's not even that it's like like <laughs> like women and hormones like we need beef yeah, or yeah. iron. you can get it from other sources for me, it's a yeah. burger yeah. um, but there are times like that i am I literally can tell I'm low on iron. Just from mm. years of like tuning in and mm-hmm. cycle syncing and mm-hmm. things like that, but like I, like we, our bodies have needs. Our bodies know better than our minds do, and if yeah. we don't teach that to our children from a, from a young age to listen to their body when it comes to food,
1: that's the key that's not it. the
0: same. As encouraging your child to try new things because everything is new to them and everything is going to be scary until they try it a few times. And some kids need to try it 12 times. But letting your child choose what they do and don't like and eating according to that and according to Mm -hmm. what their stomach is telling them, I'm full or we don't like this. Mm -hmm. Their taste buds are going to give them information. Their nose... Smelling things is giving them information and listening to their tummy when it's full is giving them information. And we need them to learn that young and encourage that versus you need to eat three more bites of this before you can get down from the table. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Why? Okay. You know, they're going to be hungry in an hour. Let them be hungry in an hour.
1: I was just going to say, so (laughs) so when the kid you know they're just anxious to go play or they're upset or they're wanting to go watch a TV show or play a game I guess would be a thing now and they don't eat they're too excited they're too emotional to sit down and think ahead that you know no I'm not full I just don't want to be here I want to be with the game and so if you let them if you let them down if you don't coerce them via some means to eat three more bites And they come back hungry. What's the healthy... Is it healthy to teach them to think about what they're eating? And are you really full and pay attention to your body? Or you let them be hungry after a while? Or do you keep healthy snacks around? How do you negotiate that on a day-to-day? I got better things to do. Schedule as a parent.
0: Well, so... Yeah, obviously that's, it's situational, but my, my, and my general answer that will work in most situations is, is two, two things. The first one's a question. When you are super excited, like so excited, you can feel it in your body. You can feel Mm -hmm. it in your stomach. Are you going to sit down and eat a meal?
1: Yeah, that's not the best time to, uh. Do anything thoughtfully is when you're super excited.
0: Studies show you're not going to digest it either. Yeah. Hmm. You're going to get a tummy ache if you force yourself to eat when you're super excited or super anxious or super whatever. Okay. Your body, your mind. So I've been to a couple of nutritionists who told me digestion starts up
1: here.
0: Hmm. If you look at your food... If you look at your food and you don't feel excited to eat what's on your plate, you're not going to digest it well. Hmm. It doesn't matter if you chew it 1,700 times before you swallow it so that it's super tiny and broken down and easy for your stomach to break down more and send Mm -hmm. through your intestines. Mm -hmm. If up here it's disgusting, you are not going to digest that food well. You are not going to get the vitamins and minerals from it. You're going to get a tummy ache. It's not going to go well,
1: yeah well there's so a reason your, child... your brain's involved, and it's kind of interesting. I've heard uh, seen articles about listen to your gut and that kind of stuff you know they are they are discovering more ties between your brain and your gut yeah. now that's interesting that all that that makes sense in that context
0: so if your child is so excited about something happening that they are incapable of physically sitting down and eating without being scared, coerced, or manipulated into it, Mm -hmm. then, okay, your meal will be here when you're hungry. And they don't get to to run away and go play something. That's how you negate the, like, well, maybe it's just, maybe they just want to eat ice cream, and so they're just going to wait to eat until it's ice cream time, and they're going to go play this game, right? Because then it's like my child's thinking ahead and they're just trying to get out of eating food and you're so you say, okay, like you're so excited. I see how excited you are. Like if right now you're too excited to eat, that's fine. You know, maybe sister's eating and you like, we're gonna, we're not, we're still not going to play the game till sister's done eating. So you can either sit here and try to like, we can take some deep breaths and you can try to get your body ready to eat. Mm-hmm. Or if you really want to wait, you need to go move your body. I'll get you out of your chair. You can go to the living room and play with the blocks or you could go set up the game or whatever it I is. Like that.
1: I like that. You can sit here until that's fine, but we're eating dinner now. And mm-hmm. so you can, you, we're going to eat dinner together before we move on to something else. You're not confined by a child's attention span, you know, or whatever. Or emotional well, When it's even,
0: and obviously this is all age dependent and situation dependent. If it's oh, family yeah. dinner, right? I'm thinking like breakfast with a stay at home mom and another child in the room. You've got a lot of flexibility there. If it's family yeah. dinner and there's four kids and two adults at the table and one child is too excited to eat, that's when you give options.
1: Yeah. and
0: And you say... You even if you, the adult, know you're going to be hungry in an hour, but they're so excited that, to do whatever mm-hmm. that they can't, that they're they don't want to eat. That's fine, but you're going to sit at the table with the rest of us while we eat because we yeah. can't go do that thing until all yeah. of us eat.
1: Which kind and of they re- may leads may to not. regulating. And yeah, yeah, I like Well, that. so
0: it does. It forces them to regulate themselves. They're going to have to sit there and they're they're nine times out of ten going to calm themselves down because
1: mm-hmm.
0: they're like, okay, well, I just have to sit here anyway. And they may pick at their food and they may not. And you can even offer, like, if you really don't want to eat, do you want me to grab you a book? And you can sit there and read or talk to us at the table. Like, these go. are your options. It's dinner time. You don't yeah. have to put food in your mouth, yeah. but we're also not gonna go do anything else right now.
1: That's right. Just engage them in conversation and get them.
0: Well, and do it without get shame. Calm
1: down. Yeah. Do it without yeah.
0: being annoyed. It's so easy to take this tone of like, you don't have to eat, but you're not gonna go play either.
1: That's right. Or making it a punishment.
0: You don't have to eat, but like the rest of us are eating. So just sit there and be quiet. Yeah. Like there's a difference between I see how excited you are. And I know that's really hard to eat when you're excited and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. excited too, but we're all eating right now. It's dinner time. And so we're all going to sit here at the table together. You don't have to eat right. right now. If you don't feel like your tummy can eat right now, that's okay. Would you like a book or do you just want to sit here and talk to the, you know, talk mm-hmm. to us or whatever? This is
1: our chance to eat. I can't fix another mm-hmm. meal in an hour, right?
0: Well, and so that's when you also say like the, when you're hungry, when your tummy does feel hungry, this is what's for dinner. And there's no, there are no snacks. There's nothing else that, that you can eat until you eat your dinner.
1: Yeah, you get your snack after you eat your dinner. You don't get a snack if you don't eat dinner. Yeah.
0: So, so when your tummy's ready to eat, I'll give, I'll reheat your dinner or whatever it is. So it's, let's sit, it's dinner time. We're going to sit here. There's, you know, or you can have a book. Those are your two options and your dinner will be here when you are hungry.
1: Yeah. And here's your dinner in a baggie for later. Doesn't that look better than it does now? (laughs) No.
0: No, that's also manipulation and coercion.
1: I know. I know. But being being comic relief,
0: yeah, but yeah, so, yeah, there's just there's there are so many ways to handle it's it's like the minute that something is smaller and less powerful than us, we know better mm-hmm. and want to force
1: Exert out, our, of, yeah.
0: out of mm-hmm. good intention we want to have a healthy kid. We want to make sure they learn things, but through force and coercion and shame and guilt are not, they're not going to learn that way. Yeah. And just cause we know no know better doesn't mean one doesn't mean that we actually do. Yeah. And two doesn't mean that we ta- get to take away the autonomy choice and safety of that mm-hmm. being
1: mm-hmm. kind of comes down to this is the way. I was taught, you know, I'm older, I'm more experienced, you know, I'm the parent, so this is the way it works, and I'm bigger and stronger than you, and we don't always stop and think about, uh, was that a good idea for us to have been taught that way, you know, and can we do a little better, you know, it uh, kind of gets tied to uh, how do you make a better world kind of thing, and that's... uh, That means we have to change. We have to not do things the way we were raised. Sometimes.
0: When I think, I think that there's a level of awareness happening now that we we're seeing adults turning out to be not what we thought we were teaching them to be. In that, yeah,
1: unintended consequences, or something.
0: Right, and so we have we have adults running around with. Anxiety, depression, self hatred, suicide rates are up. Uh, lack of confidence. Someone argue there's generations with too much confidence. Um,
1: yeah, too entitlement. I think is what's for you. running
0: around. So there's yeah. there's this like spectrum, right? And on on one side of the spectrum is horrific, violent, traumatic, toxic physical beating, et cetera, abuse, parenting. And on the other end of the spectrum is complete and utter leniency and let them do whatever they want and don't teach them anything.
1: Yeah. There's a bell curve and we're kind of trying, we're kind of here.
0: And somewhere in the middle is if we just are in healthy relationship with all beings adults, Mm -hmm. children, et cetera. We, that means we know how to set healthy boundaries. That means we know ourselves well enough to know what our boundaries are. That means we let the world teach consequences and we are the safe place for our child to mess up and to learn and to Stand back up after they fall down and try again. And yeah. like if you want a resilient kid, they have to have a safe place to fall down and get back up again.
1: A they place have to... to go to learn, a place to go to right. ask questions. You have to be regulated to teach them regulation.
0: And the, if you want a child who doesn't blindly follow whatever social media influencer, politician, whatever is blabbing in their ear all day, and to actually think for themselves, then you have to let your three-year-old argue with you when they disagree.
1: That's right. And you have can the teach them. You can <laughs> teach them
0: to have a respectful argument, but you need to let them argue. That's right. You need to let them negotiate. Yeah. You need to let them do those things and teach them how to do those things correctly and respectfully.
1: You have to model so it so that for them. they
0: can become adults. Well, yeah. And you need right. to do it so they can become adults who think for themselves and have healthy conversations and talk through things and have friends and partners who are also healthy and. Have good conversations and are not I don't manipulative. Know what that looks like. yeah. yeah, and I who don't just stay the hell away hmm. from?
1: Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I'm not sure I want to get hooked up too close with that one.
0: There's also there's like all these I don't know if it's trending or it's a buzzword or we're just I think we're just there's collective awareness of issues, societal issues or whatever. And one of those that I've seen a lot in the last couple of years is narcissism and Mm. that word can get overused and applied to situations that it does not apply to and et cetera, et cetera. But, but I've, you know, I have been with a narcissist and I know other people who have escaped relationships with narcissists and it took us way too long to figure it out. Well, And if we knew what those toxic love bombing behaviors looked like before Mm -hmm. it happened, we never Mm would have gotten roped in and we would have run the other way. I don't know if there's a
1: way to teach people to spot that maybe there is by raising them by yeah, with the spot, relationship the skills,
0: gaslighting yeah.
1: and stuff, you know, all that, th- all that stuff. I can yeah. look back
0: now and take all these relationship skills and look back yeah. at that relationship and go, Oh my God, how would, like,
1: we ooh. would not have made it to the third date.
0: <laughs> Second date.
1: <laughs>
0: like, like it was just so obvious. Now that I obviously know what I know now, but if we were teaching that to children, if we were raising everyone inside of this container of, of relationship skills, because relationship skills are life skills and it's, it's knowing it's being able to identify manipulation. It's being able to identify, um, and know that you don't deserve to be yelled at no matter what you don't deserve to be abused no matter what you don't deserve to have your boundaries crossed if someone isn't listening to a boundary that you set with them run
1: what's that like you don't need
0: to be with them right and if you but as children Hmm. our parents have the run of the mill and we just have to deal with it Hmm. and instead of being in this equal relationship Where our voice is heard too, and our parents hear it and respect it and have a healthy conversation about it. Like,
1: that's how you teach. Yeah.
0: Something Hmm. as simple as Hmm. I set out shoes for my preschooler to wear today, and they don't want to wear those shoes. Instead of being like, well, too bad you're wearing those shoes, you could be like, why? What shoes do you want to wear, and yeah. have a freaking conversation about it? Because they might have a really good reason.
1: It's a form of choose your battle too. It's like I'm not going to worry about the shoes. Their friends, if it's old, if they're older, middle school or something like that, you know, the friends, their friends will let them know when they're not in style. And unless it's going to cause frostbite, let them wear the sandals in the winter and figure out why we wear toes in the in the winter mostly, right. you know, and it's snowy out. Well, and it's natural consequences.
0: There's also like something I've run across is there are a lot of shoes that little kids, they're not comfortable.
1: Yeah, they hurt. Yeah.
0: And they don't know how to say that because they don't they have those actually. words yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But if
0: you if they if they bring up that they don't want to wear those shoes, ask why.
1: That's right. And I
0: bet you'll eventually get to it because they'll eventually be like, my toes hurt in those shoes.
1: Or if you don't have time to ask why and have a big discussion, just say, okay, what what ones do you want to wear? You know, there's yeah. a there's a quick way out of that too, if you're harried out. We'll I also
0: them out. would and if it's if it's snowy out and you're, you know, your kid's gonna be out in the snow, you know, there's maybe not every household has this option because you have one pair of, of snow appropriate shoes and that's it. That's but it. a lot of places <laughs> and situations I've been in there are multiple pairs of shoes that could work for that weather, and you yeah. lay those and you say, "Okay, you get to choose," but it has to be one of these because it's really cold outside, really and these are the cold. only yeah. shoes that are warm enough. I don't want today. you
1: walking home from the bus stop in wet feet. So, so
0: we're still giving choices. the
1: parent card, playing the parent card here a little bit, yeah.
0: Well, and even like the phrase, I don't want you walking home from the bus stop in wet shoes, wet socks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. means nothing to a kid.
1: That's true. It's too far off. Yeah.
0: So what, like, I'm going to ask you.
1: Where were you you, when I was raising kids? How could you,
0: I know, right? (laughs) I was too little. (laughs) So how could you rephrase that phrase to actually teach and mean something to a kid?
1: I'm i I'm afraid. If you wear those shoes, your feet'll get wet and hurt when you go outside. Maybe just make an observation, maybe. Mm-hmm. But again, you don't
0: even. You can say I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I would even leave that out of it because you. F- feelings. State it as a fact. One, you're putting your feelings on the child.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you don't want your kid to res- be responding to your feelings. You want them to learn what yeah. could happen if they wear sandals in the snow. It's not, it's not yeah. about you being afraid. It's not about, it's not about you at all. So we're framing things right. because our ultimate, if you pull everything out from on top, you, you peel back all the layers. What we're trying to do is protect our child.
1: The world from the world. How to get through? How to get by in the world? We're just and communicating s- the world to them,
0: right? And so, so in order to protect your child, all you need to do is teach them the pros and cons of their choices.
1: How to make choices? How to think?
0: How to think critically about
1: it or whatever? Yeah, and
0: make a choice. And I so did you that go, once, and
1: boy, my toes about, about froze off one year. I got my feet wet. I wore sandals in the snow, and boy, was that cold. Yes. That's, that's kind of putting me in it again, though, too.
0: Well, but sharing... Sharing... In this situation, I would say that's not the best way to do it, but it, it mm-hmm, is better mm-hmm. than the initial phrase. There I'm are a afraid. lot of situations yeah. with old, with kids that using a story about yourself, about how you've felt what they're feeling before,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. to normalize it for them so they don't feel weird or shame about it is yeah. totally viable and, like, excellent. It's in something as simple as a child who's picking their shoes and weather, I would just, I would just say, and you could even, you could even do a physical experiment with it is.
1: <laughs> Let's go outside for a minute. <laughs> well, okay,
0: okay. If it's a jacket and your kid doesn't want to wear a jacket outside, yeah. be like, okay, I'm going to bring your jacket with us. Uh, yeah. Let's go play outside.
1: Bring and a pair, give bring, it bring five another minutes. pair of shoes. Yeah.
0: Give it five minutes and they're gonna be like, Can I have my jacket, please? An let object. Like let them feel lesson. cold. Like, them feel cold. Yeah. They're not going to die. We all know colds aren't actually caused by being out in the cold. <laughs> so let your child go outside and feel yeah. cold. They will ask for a jacket.
1: Especially if it's a trip to a part. I like that because then you can do that on the fly. It's like, well, okay, you pick shoes. Um, and then as you're walking, you grab, you grab appropriate shoes and coat and whatnot and just, and just, you know, if you can just carry it with you and then you're whipping out of your purse like a magician when they need it. Yeah.
0: And again, there's going to be like different situations and abilities to do that. And I can't carry all that shit and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to have to adjust this to your situation.
1: You can't do that for 30 kids at school at once, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's obvious limits
0: like you need to be able like as a parent you need to be able to this is part of like self-regulation and knowing what each situation needs is you need to be able to look at the situation and go what's the next best step that causes no harm yeah
1: and it's also I feel feel obligated to throw in here too. There's no perfect. It's nice to have a chance to you know life is very dynamic. These things are flying. You don't do this when a fire's going on. You grab them, pick them up, and carry them when there's when there's actual danger. And you don't have to think of everything all the time. All you can do is do a little better. You try to be intentional. Try to be thoughtful about how you're saying and what you're dealing you know, how you're dealing with the situation you're presented with. And it gets better with time. The more you do it, the more, the better you get. And yeah, okay, this is now, instead of a, uh, uh, there's starving people, eat all your food, clean your plate, regardless of how much food I put on it and your tummy and your emotional state, just, just, I don't know, go, go with it. I lost my train of thought there. Instead of guilting or coercing, just see if there's a way to to move through it and do a little better each time. And then by the time they're 25, they'll be wonderful people. You know, you get them, you know, you get the hang of it pretty quick. I think, you know, it's starting to, starting to think before you knee jerk react. Yeah, this, hire, stuff's all, this is stuff. All this stuff. There you go. There you go. That's if you wanna the best it, idea. I've if you want to,
0: if you want to learn it faster and must. have a place to have a place to practice it regularly.
1: That's right. Or if you haven't seen any of it, doing it hard, the hard way, just figuring it out on your own. That's tough If you've never seen it, you know. In my in my family, you know. Uh, there was an alcoholic, and I'd never seen alcoholism before, and he died. And I go, and now I see that, and I go, mm, you know, red flag in somebody, but I'd never seen it before, and so you, so it goes by you until it's, like, crashed, and you see it, whether it's a, you know, whatever unhealthy thing it is, some kind of addiction or emotional thing, and, uh, yeah, so there's no shame in Watching a, you know, that's a place to watch a YouTube video and pick up a few tips and uh, like and subscribe and get to our Patreon page or whatever that turns into. Or there's somebody you can call and talk to for an hour about particular problems, you know? Yeah. Go about it deliberately. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Where Where was
1: YouTube in the 80s?
0: I mean, it took me. 20 years to figure all this stuff out for myself and learn it. And, you know, I learned through my jobs and working with children, but I also learned through, I learned through my own adult relationships and trial and error and what's healthy and what's toxic and my own self work and like the inner demons and bullshit I had to get over and heal and, you know,
1: undoing things I did to you, your, your mother and I did to you.
0: (laughs) Well, and even just like, you know, my own, whether it was passed down through you guys or it was, I was born with it as part of my personality thought processes. I don't know. Some of it. I know some of it. I don't have examples and memories for, so I don't know where it came Mm -hmm. from, but Mm -hmm. dealing with your own bullshit and deciding not to be that person and and yeah. and not just thinking about it but at taking action like your behavior in the world is what makes you who you are and That's so right. but what drives your behavior is what lives in in here and so yeah. you have to fix what's in here before you can change out here yep. and so deciding to do that work and change your behavior and and you know I'm lucky enough to have been Passionate about children for twenty years, and that's been my career, and that's what I've been doing. And so I've learned these things prior to having my own. And I'm st- I know that I'm still going to mess up and do things absolutely in a bad mood or in a bad phase of life, a hard in stressful, a hurry
1: or yeah, in a,
0: yeah, we're in a rush, we're late, like all these things are going to happen, and I'm not going to be perfect at it either, but. There's something to be said for the amount of time it can take if you're just doing this on your own and trying to figure it out as you go versus intentionally taking time out of your schedule, putting it on the calendar to do your self-work or to work with a parent coach or whatever it might be like you, whether it's working with me or Whatever modality you choose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the goal here is awareness. That's why I wanted to do the podcast yeah. is so yeah. that more people had access to this information and then to set aside, make an appointment with yourself or whatever, just like you would work or the gym or a phone call with a family member or whatever it is. Like if you don't prioritize and make time for it, it won't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're just going along every situation with your kids and hoping you get better, it's not you're not going to.
1: Yeah, You have to do it and
0: practice it and get help if you need it. And we all know change happens faster when you have someone holding you accountable for it. So there's lots of options, but I just want to drive that point home of like you've got to do it on purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's change. One of the words you used was change. If you want to change or improve or you grow, that's that's an action. That's not a wish for mm-hmm. that to happen. Usually there had my experience is growth usually comes with some pain. You know, you don't people Always. don't usually change <laughs> until maybe that's
0: just us. Maybe it just... hurts
1: too much not to. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out in the comments. I'm sure. I'm really anxious to see the comments, no. and I'll probably be a quivering. Bowl of jelly after I see them, but
0: yeah, I'm not reading comments.
1: Yeah, you no. Know, someone I'll, else I'll, is
0: reading comments and sending I'll me the topic requests.
1: <laughs> we'll pay somebody if we if we get to the, that point. I wonder how much it costs to. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if they weren't personal. I guess you know we're I could filter too, somebody else's com- comments. We're
0: far too <laughs> sensitive.
1: Could be, yeah. We're that's far kind too of
0: sensitive.
1: One of our things, but you do you have to do something. Take a class you have to study it. To me, it all comes down to education, the concept of education. There's people who haven't gone to college, didn't finish high school. You know, that's what kindergarten up is just exposure to new information and deliberately, you know, going most days and doing a little bit of homework or some reading or something and wanting to improve, you know, wanting to master something. And this is no different. You know, you can study parenting while you're doing parenting. You can study math while you're doing math. It doesn't matter what your level is. It's just a different area to educate yourself in. You know, maybe you like to read the classics and you know a lot about fancy literature or or whether or or plumbing or welding or, you know, the technical trades are just whatever you do, you can you can study a little bit and think about how you want to do it and go about it more deliberately and get better at it, you know. Yeah. People are eminently studyable. So, yeah, just be deliberate about the time, spending a little bit of time. We're not talking about a lot of time. You know, you're talking about taking 5% of your life or 2% and spending some time on an area that, Pays huge dividends, you know, it compounds over time.
0: Yeah. Well, and there parenting is arguably parenting is just something we've always done evolutionarily. It just is. Intuitively, and, yeah. And but there's there is no formal education for it. There's no like no one is required, like like math and science are requirements in high school, but parenting isn't. But
1: no manual
0: more than half the population become parents. So it's like insane to me, knowing what I know now, that we are not and there's also no standard on how to parent. That's
1: right. And Different that's, cultures and yeah
0: something else that I want to change that I want to change in the researchers who have spent studying parenting for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And they are discovering that there is a best practice. It's not just personal, cultural, societal, like there is a best practice that turns out healthy, functional, resilient, kind, happy people. And, for the most, like the majority of us are not doing it. And so without a formal edge, you know, without, it's just like anything else, what you want to go to college for, or people who don't want to go to college and want to go to trade school or people who drop out of middle school and start working because their family needs them to, and then eventually figure out their passion. And then they just, they take a class or they go do, you know, like you were saying, like they, you figure out what, matters to you and you go (coughs) do it and get better at it and if you're a parent like it should matter to you
1: oh there's a value judgment it should but i agree
0: well because your children didn't choose to come into this world your children don't owe you anything you chose to have children what are you raising kids for being a good parent yeah, why are you raising children? There's kind, of,
1: there's kind of an assumption of, you know, okay, I want to be good at this because it's so intuitive. Well, there's also there's the, psychi-
0: a- the psychology of, like, having children for some not cool reasons. Like, you know, there's, like, this self-image and reflection. There's, you know, having children...
1: To take care of me when I'm because old. Because you want,
0: or, yeah, or because you want love and you know a child will love you. That's and, right. or, oh. or to keep a, oh. a partnership together, to yeah. trap a partner, or like whatever it might be. There are lots of reasons people have children Financial that are gain
1: not. or, Because oh. they
0: want to be a guide for another spirit, a new spirit on earth to make the world mm-hmm. a better place. Mm-hmm. And... That's just an unfortunate truth, and, you know, in our reality. But if you are a parent, an intentional parent, meaning that you had kids on purpose because you wanted to create a family and a happy home and, and all of these things mm-hmm. and continue your, you know, your bloodline, et cetera, then being the best parent you can be, I'm going to say should, I normally don't use that word, but in this case, I'm gonna, it you, would be
1: nice. Yeah.
0: Being the best parent you can be for your child to make the world a better place and to have a happy, like if you want your child to be happy in their adulthood, being a good parent should be something you're working on.
1: There you go. It would be nice. It would be nice if they were to avoid the should. It would be nice for everybody. Nice for you. Nice for the child. Nice for the world. If... Uh, if you studied it a little bit got better at it. found some best practices as opposed to especially if what you know is beating and shame and you know if you're if your upbringing was horrible damaged I you don't know how's it go to hurt people hurt people kind mm-hmm. of thing you know if you knew a lot of hurt then uh it sh- should there i there i am doing it it you might want to think about undoing a couple of habits you know that you're doing and yeah. that's you know and any and any improvement is a is a great boon to the world that's the way it's going to get fixed it's not going to you know there's no fairy dust there's no magic wand it's just everybody people learning different habits and the more we can do the more we can spread around people don't people don't want to be an interfered You know, you have to, you can't look at that as failure. You just have to look at that as, hey, I'm working on being the best parent I can. And everybody's unique, coming from unique places. And so it's going to be a unique path. Yeah, I'm really, this is really, this is really interesting. I'm anxious to see what, uh, what feedback we get on this. See how far, see where we are under the bell curve.
0: Yeah, well, and like you were saying, it doesn't happen overnight and it's not going to happen. Perfection is not going to happen in one generation. We are, you know, cycle breakers, generational cycle breakers and every family, every culture passes down whatever the past family members have passed down and you pass it down to your kids and they pass it down to their kids. And, and and until someone breaks a cycle, It's going to just keep going and you may not, there might be 20 cycles in your family line and you've identified 10 of them and you're going to break 10 of them or two of them or 15 of them. And it just depends on which generation is made aware of what. You know, and what and who is seeking the knowledge and the education to break the cycles, identify the cycles and break the cycles. Yeah. And you don't have to put the world on your shoulders to fix everything in your short lifetime. But. The more you break, the less your child is going to have to struggle with and the less their children are going to have to yep. struggle with. And yep. the more the closer and closer we get to living in a place that is abundant and joyful and fulfilling instead of
1: yep. little traumatic and a little easier to live in. Something like that. The goal. And yeah. Took a class. uh emotionally healthy relationships or something last year. And it was really interesting. Ran into, I didn't know this existed, a G, not genomics, um, genographing, something like that where Mm. you map your family and then there's different kinds of lines between people, you know, and and who who raised me and who did I have conflict with. And I forget the principles. I got to go back and look through that book. And think about it because there's a lot of the, it gave me some insight into my own family. Yeah. It's like, ah, aha, you know, seeing it on, I guess it's different modes of living, learning or something, you know, it's like, ah, seeing it on a piece of paper, I'm in IT, I'm used to in software, I'm used to dealing with boxes connected by lines and arrows, you know, and it just kind of struck me seeing it written down as like, oh, you can write, here's a chart for this. And, mm-hmm. uh. Like ah, there was there was an aha of uh, boy, there's a there's somebody's got a tool for working with this. I was I was like, hey, that's snazzy. I never even thought of doing that. Um, but it's good good to learn. Yeah. I, I wish I'd have I wish I'd have had it in 1985 or so when I started before I started having kids. <laughs> right. Yeah. It probably existed, but I didn't see it. I'll have to go back and look when that stuff was invented.
0: Well, and it's, I mean, it might have, you know, been a thought in someone's head and they wrote it down for the first time and, you know, invented it, but... you being exposed to it in the right place and time and like would you have been receptive to it in 1985 or would you have timing. been in denial yeah. there's you know so many everyone is developing and learning well after childhood we are all developing and learning and and capable of different things at different times in our lives yeah. like i'm very
1: good
0: 34 point 34 and i've held multiple jobs you know, all generally in in similar, in a similar arena, but I'm not, I don't have 15 years at one workplace and there's, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandpa was a Methodist minister for 40 years. That's
1: what he did. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. And so that happens less
1: and less, I think. Yeah.
0: Well, but, but the point is like different people need different things and we learn different things differently and our minds are open to and closed off to different things at different times in our lives based on our experiences and et cetera. And so like, if you're a 45 year old parent hearing this shit for the first time and you've got young kids or you're a 20 year old parent hearing this stuff for the first time and you've got young kids, like it, there's no one who's like the 45 year old isn't worse of a person than the 20 year old simply because they're, they've been exposed to something
1: Didn't run into it then,
0: yeah. Right, like because they weren't exposed to it or didn't run into it when they were 20 or weren't seeking it because they weren't a parent yet. Like age is irrelevant and we're... I got off track of the point I was trying to make. The point is we are all going to run into things when we're meant to run into them. Yeah. And when you run into something and you become aware of something that you weren't aware of before your job from that point on, isn't to look at the past and go, I wish, I wish, I wish it's to, right. it's to go, Oh, I now I'm now aware of this. And this is what I'm going to do about it moving forward.
1: It's it's a blessing. It's an opportunity. Oh, here it is. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see what this is. And there's probably some reason waiting for me to use this somewhere. You know, there's a reason I, ran into it now rather than a hundred years ago or the reason my parents didn't run into it or their parents didn't run it.
0: Right. Well, and there's stuff that you and mom
1: got from your
0: parents that I'm sure when you became parents, you were like, we're never going to do that. We're never going
1: to do that. We're never going to be like our parents.
0: Well, no, not in that sense. But I mean like there are things your parents did to you that you did not then to do to us. So even if you were aware of it or like purposeful or not, -hmm. There are things that you saw that your parents did to you and hurt you, and you didn't do it to us.
1: I think my parents were perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Can everybody? everybody, Sarcasm probably doesn't translate into podcasts very good. Sorry.
0: No, I think I think it's good. I like it. It's the truth of who we are, so we've got to bring it in,
1: right? And you don't even know, and you don't even know it. You know, that's why it's good to have a coach. Be coachable you know well, and everything you,
0: if you guys you know there was a time in my 20s oh, tough
1: time there
0: was a lot of my 20s where i was res- i was resentful at varying times and varying years, at varying stages of my therapy and realizations mm-hmm. the, of where my my stuff came from, and if yeah. it came from you or it came from mom, and you did
1: a good job on there you. was
0: Oof. there was, but then there was there's integrating those things, and I get to choose, and and you came from something. You came from parenting that was probably that was even more dysfunctional or toxic and you didn't do a lot of the things your parents did to you. And so there's like this appreciation for you taking the steps to break the cycle. But the point I'm actually trying to get to is that if you weren't the parents that you were, I would not be so passionate about what I am passionate about, and maybe I wouldn't have pursued what I have pursued yeah. and the knowledge and education and career that I have pursued, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, creating this relationship-based parenting model that I now plan to get, you know, give to the world and to yeah. as many people as I can and teach it. Trying to make the it world a better and, place. Yeah. Right. And so if I had been raised in, what you know, quote, unquote, the perfect environment, I wouldn't be who and what I am today. And so, Absolutely. and that's, you know, I don't want that to turn into an argument for parents to be like, well, if my, if I, was a perfect parent. My kid won't have a passion about anything when they grow up. Like, no,
1: (laughs) they will. And
0: we need to make the world a better place. And we're, we're also born. Like I came out of the womb loving children Mm -hmm. that is innate in me. Nobody gave me that. No, that's been planned
1: since a young age.
0: Yeah. Like people, mom, you, excuse me, your adult friends who knew me back then, like everybody knows Jenny, Jenny and kids go together like peanut butter and jelly. And you didn't have any
1: trouble finding babysitting gigs when you were of that age.
0: Yeah. I mean, Nobody I walk was a into a room to leave you with
1: their kids.
0: If there's a baby, like I will end up with it by the end of the mm-hmm. night. Like it will be mine.
1: <laughs> Very kid oriented.
0: Yeah. Well, and kids are drawn to me, and there's. You know, so that's my natural gift. And I would have found that no matter what, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, But the, the passion and the drive that I feel to correct the injustice that I remember feeling in my childhood, that I remember working through in my 20s. And that I am now mostly on the other side of in my 30s <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: is something Which is good that because you're
1: getting on the other side of it. Go
0: ahead. <clears throat> well, but dr- it's what drove me to want to start. Coaching versus I'm just going to take care of kids for the rest of my life yeah. and be a it mom. It was a
1: struggle. It was a struggle and you can make it easier sharing your struggle for other people.
0: And, well, and there's kids who are raised in super healthy, healthy relational homes. There are a few of them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they still find their passion. And my argument is they find it a lot quicker. Yeah. Because they can, because they're they not are. dealing with trauma and
1: yeah. their own
0: brain. Just trying to survive constantly, they're able to actually pursue their passions, become successful earlier, and build joyful, fulfilling lives faster than those of us who are starting families in our 30s.
1: They just go off, you know, people who haven't had trauma, uh, and I think the 30s is the right time to do it. (laughs)
0: There is so the, I think or, the latest science
1: right
0: I think there's the latest science is that your brain our brains are actually not fully developed until we're 28 years old
1: 25 27 yeah 28
0: and it's the prefrontal cortex everything else is developed except the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. our judgment centers are not mm-hmm. fully developed for 28 years mm-hmm. and our brains continue growing throughout our whole lives yeah so but your judgment zone is not fully developed until you're 28. It's like so, driving. It
1: takes a long time after you get your driver's license to be a good driver, you know, because you have to be in all those situations yeah. and make think through all those decisions, right. and it's complicated, like parenting. Yeah. You no, know? I was mostly
0: just making a joke about starting a family in my 30s. Yeah. I didn't find I love, Lewis till my 30s. So
1: Timing again. I didn't
0: want to have kids with anybody till I yeah. found the right <laughs> yeah. person.
1: You valued and it too much.
0: Took me a while to find the right person.
1: Some people find themselves back to timing and fate and the universe. Some people find themselves having kids way before they intended to, before it was a conscious thing. But that's the situation. And there's still a good idea to make the best, you know, do the best at it that you can with a little bit yeah. of education, and a little bit of talk and let go of the, um, you know, don't be defensive about things. and. Uh, Find somebody it resonates with and share some ideas, you know, a group of friends or a coach or whatever. Be coachable. Yeah. 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 When I, we, uh,
0: I just want to put this out there. Like when you keep, you keep using that phrase, be coachable. And it's such an important phrase because it's something I had to learn. I, in everything. And, well, I've had to learn. Yeah. In everything. I've had to learn it and I've, I've had, I've done it. I've, I've been in yep. therapy. For eight years, I've hired coaches. I like, I wouldn't be out here being like, I'm a coach. I can help you. Unless one, I know what I'm talking about. And two, yeah. I've done it.
1: Seen a little so like, I've hired coaching. coaches. Yeah. I've,
0: I've reaped the, the rewards and the benefits and the, the faster growth and whatever from someone who's, who's, who's done it. Someone who's. Yeah been in the trenches and learned it and is on the other side and sharing what they know and I just yeah it's something I I've I highly value in my own life I have a coach right now I have a business coach like I will continue to hire coaches according to what I'm working on in my life Because I know I will get there so much faster than if I were to just sit here in my office and spin about it in my own head or talk to my friends about it on the side and try to figure it out.
1: Yeah. Get out of the echo chamber. Imagine I just had it flash in my head, a picture of a football team trying to self-organize and play football. And think, no, it's kind of, that's going to get done a lot faster if there's yeah. somebody uh, saying, oh, "Here's how you hold a football. Here's you know, here's a better way to hold a football. Here's here's a better way to run." Yeah, you might want to put your helmet on for this. Yeah, somebody who's done it before and and uh, when I think seen like some of it before
0: therapy. Is a much more widely accepted notion nowadays. I feel like than it was in the '80s or '90s or even early 2000s. It was kind of like a, oh, you're you're in therapy, you need
1: help. Especially in your generation, I think. And, my, I still run into a lot of people that are like ooh ah about that. But you're, well, yeah. you guys seem to talk to one another more. But you about were the ones stuff. that were ooh
0: and awing at it in the '80s. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But it's much more widely accepted in my generation. Maybe some Gen X, but there's, there's this, this notion of like, and this is part of the way we're raised too, of like, there's shame in asking for help.
1: There's shame laid on
0: people and children who don't fit the standard mold or who who can't fake it to fit into the standard mold long enough to get through public school yep. or whatever. Yep. And like yep. people learn different ways and we all like there is no one who gets through life without help from somebody.
1: No, There's no shame in not having seen a situation. You know, you have kids and you don't know what kind of learning... Challenges they're gonna have, or what? Physical challenges, whatever you know. And we haven't seen them all either. We we have our little bubble of experience, but there's no shame in saying you know, like with the alcoholism or toxic relationships, or it's, there's no shame in not having run across something before, and going, I don't know exactly how to deal with this. I should try maybe ask around and see if anybody's seen this and get a couple of tips you know, to make it go a little better. Not that it's going to fix anything, but cast about for some information.
0: Well, and yeah, well, but, and there's this shame of like people don't, they don't reach out. They don't do that because they were brought up to figure things out for yourself and
1: you're dumb if you
0: don't, if you can't, if you can't approach a a new situation and figure it out like it's not that's not human that's not how we operate we come out of the womb completely helpless and the point of parents is to guide and teach and I don't know there's many people i know who parenting doesn't stop at 18 like that's just when the government has decided you're an adult that doesn't mean anything yeah. in the reality yeah. of the timeline of learning I where that came from yeah. and it's but it's this, it's deeply embedded hmm. in our in our foundation and the shame and our it DNA and however it's passed down and taught, retaught and over and over and over again of asking for help is shameful. And it means that you there's something wrong with you, inherently you wrong help. with you, if you need yeah. help. And the but the reality is we all need help. We can't all do everything all day, every single day. Nobody can. Like. There's a man or a woman who comes and picks up my trash every week because I don't have time to drive it 50 miles outside the city and dump it. Like I can't cook every single day or I don't have time to like clean my entire house all of the time. Like there, everybody needs help in whatever ways that we need help. And
1: it's kind of a tribe thing. It's a, you're better part of the yeah. Group, we
0: weren't meant you know? to be to live these like lonely, isolated lives, and whatever wherever that started, this like hyper independence, and and I even I've even heard it from from older generations who believe in tribal stuff, and they think that the newer generations are way too self involved and and independent, yeah. but then they but yeah. then they shame you for for seeking help.
1: For having it's like, a well, tribe. Which, yeah. Well,
0: which is it? Yeah. Am I allowed to rely on other people for stuff and ask for help? Or do I need to be toxically independent?
1: And I which one are, is are you a... gonna
0: judge me for? Like Yeah.
1: This is my tribe. What uh, what's wrong with having a tribe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's gotta be it's good. It's healthy. Use that word to Share ideas and get better at things, especially something as important as child rearing, you know, and value instilling and, you know, make sure you've thought through your values and make sure you've thought through, you know, we also touched on sometimes we, we do what we know, and maybe that's not, uh, maybe that has unintended consequences. And maybe it's good to discuss that stuff once in a while and, uh, well, that's what you and I do opinion yeah we're
0: looking at yeah you know It was one of the goals here is to be able to look at the different facets and different sides, the pros and cons exactly. and whatever of all of these issues to be able to talk yeah. out loud about how that could be helpful or how that could be harmful yeah. or because and it's not happening childbirth. It's not happening in our communities. And nobody's got time for it. It's not like, oh, we're not going to the coffee shop with our friends and just blowing off our jobs and having time to do things. Like we're not naturally yeah. in those situations where, like, we're all living separate lives. Yeah, we all live very separate lives. We have different jobs and cars and houses, and we have different schedules. In our own little, our own fam- our little family uni- unit,
1: yeah,
0: has their responsibilities and stuff. And each family unit has all their own stuff, and so we're like living in the vicinity of each other, but we're completely separated. And you don't know I've your actually, neighbor, but you know
1: people across the planet.
0: I, yeah, and I've actually kind
1: of yeah
0: always been a little jealous of cultures and families who live together, yeah. uh, who who they all house together pretty much their whole lives until the older children move out and start having their own children. And maybe even sometimes, you know, they're in and out, move back in, move out or whatever and have their own house. And I know that, that a lot of that was because of socioeconomic need. And it's not like a glamorous thing to aspire to. And I don't want to be ignorant of that, but I also see that and, it can be complicated and loud and noisy and busy and, and whatever, but there's also an element of tribe to that and like we're together and there's somebody, if somebody there's, there's seven or eight adults who can cook instead of just one or two in the house, trying to handle everything and cook healthy meals and get the kids everywhere and earn money. And like, if I could have a castle and, (laughs) <laughs> have all of my f- friends and family live together, but also, yeah, I mean, I, there's also, I value my space and yeah. I'm an introvert, yeah. but like, I just need a bedroom for that, you know? So it's like, yeah. if I, if I could live in a big castle and move all my family and friends into it, and we would all live together and work the land and raise the, the, cows and ride the horses and do the things. And there's multiple people going out to work jobs and there's multiple people at home taking care of kids. And there's multiple, like there's shared labor and community and constant interaction. Like they've, sh- they've shown again in the most recent studies, um, connection and relationship yeah. and having a community go. is the number one determination, determining factor in longevity yeah. in, in a healthy Interesting. Length of life,
1: Huh.
0: active community, con- like being in contact with and being in relationship with people on a daily, weekly, regular basis. And that's okay. why they like they've shown that like the elderly who get secluded in their homes and they just have a yeah. nurse visit every once Isolation in a while.
1: Isolation after divorce for guys. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Depression, all, kinds of all the stuff. things. Yeah. So,
0: but but anyway, yeah, I've always... Loved that concept, and you know, have dreams about creating a a community or sharing a plot of land and farming it and raising raising meat and animals and having shared resources and community and that's an old bottle. Big that's family a, a dinners and yeah, ca- chaos and excitement Con- and connection. Yeah.
1: Disruption. It's it's going to be interesting. The longevity thing is this, you know, we're in, we're in the internet is about partly about communities. You know, there's only two people that like to collect purple clown heads or something. And if there can be six of them on the planet and they can get together through the internet. That was one of yeah. the, you know, you can have a, so that's a kind of community. So is having your family grow up around 500 acres and, and everybody works the family farm like, or, or a plot of land like has been going on for however many thousands of years. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, well, and, th- and so getting within a family unit, there's habits and, you know, passed along sayings and all kinds of things. It's going to be interesting to watch and learn, um, through this through this podcast, how this, how this affects community, you know, can you have a a community of people all trying to get better at par- parenting or pick up a tip here and there, or, you know, it beats watching TikTok dances or, you know, here's, there's something a little more productive in my humble opinion and uh, how that community affects people. Um, what kind of community can you have? online. And then, of course, with you, there's always, you know, here's a phone number and, and and talk and face. You get sort of kind of FaceTime with a computer and get to know people to an extent online. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's an extension, a modification of community. What's going on here? And it's going to be very interesting to see in a hundred years. All
0: right. Well, I think we've Gone off topic far enough. Yeah, we
1: have. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's
0: not. We both did do
1: it. Don't I apologize. I have to do that. We,
0: um, well, everything is connected. It's going to happen. It's going to yeah. happen every episode. So yeah. if you're someone who demands linear thought in your episode than your podcasts, then this may not be for you.
1: You're gonna wait till have to wait till we get a little more practice at staying on point.
0: (laughs) I don't know that we ever will. We've been talking to each other for 34 years. So
1: it rambles um, a little
0: but I think it's helpful. I think that I think that this is a a normal, especially in parenting, it's such a daily thing that it's like, if I do that, then it's going to do this. And if we do this, then it's going to do that. Where do I find the time? Having kids is not linear. So it's your thoughts as a parent. You're like, am I causing shame and guilt? What if I do this? Well, then am I being, am I letting them get away with stuff? And then what about this? And there's you ping ponging on the spectrum back and forth constantly. Don't
1: micro, don't micromanage yourself. Yeah, I
0: think. Talking through these things and, and, and seeing how they're all connected to different things and all of that. I think it's, I think it's fine, but we should probably end it. We're well over our 60 minutes.
1: Um, Oh my goodness. That went fast.
0: But yeah, this was fun and, uh, and we'll see you all next time. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode, or you are wishing you had a friend to digest it with, I would be so honored if you shared this link from this episode with them. I myself have always benefited from community and sharing, and I truly believe that it takes a village to raise a child. Our society has become so independent from one another, and parenting these days is often a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm here. If you have been seeking a more intentional approach to parenting, but you aren't sure where to start, I would love to hear from you. You can find me and all of my offerings at www.jennyb.co. And come follow me on all major social media platforms. It fills my heart to hear your stories, where you come from, and your big goals for raising the next generation. Don't forget, comment your parenting question on our YouTube channel, The Relational Parenting Podcast, to get it answered on one of our future episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. I am so grateful that you are here, and always remember, you are never alone. I'll see you next week. This show is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We will discuss things like mental health, abuse, PTSD, and other potentially triggering subjects. Please listen at your own discretion, and this podcast is not intended for anyone under the age of 18.